blessed that you've joined us this evening as we continue in our journey in the book of Leviticus. And if you're just joining us, we encourage you to go back and catch the first teaching. Um, and then uh, pick, you know, catch Ray right back up where uh, we're uh, at this evening. And we're going to take chapters 5 through 7. The attempt was to try to get through 5 last week. Didn't happen. Uh, so I'm getting in the flow of the Leviticus, just falling in love with this book. And I hope you are as well. And, uh, and tonight we'll kind of wrap up some of the, the, the focus around the offerings in this case, offerings with instructions. And the way Leviticus is, uh, Lord gave it to Moses to write out is interesting. It gave us a lot of very much uh, specific details of what they're to do in regards to each of these offerings. And then kind of wraps up here in 6 and 7 with a little bit more instructions. So those who took notes last week, it will fall nicely into this week. And then I'll summarize at the very end, Lord willing, I'm going to summarize the offerings with the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in the New Testament for those who are taking notes so you can have the clarity of what I said last week and this week so you can see that I'll summarize that at the very end. Um, so let's open up prayer. Father, again, we thank you uh, just to just to lift, being able to lift our voices to you and sing to you and worship you and praise you and honor you and glorify you with our lives, Lord. And, uh, let us be living sacrifices for you. We thank you for going to the cross for us. And, and as we sit and go through uh, Leviticus here, Lord, just the Holy Spirit, just speak to us, reveal truths to us, settle things in our hearts, questions we may have. But more of all, just help us to see this one beautiful love story, a continuous story of who you are, Jesus, uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Lord, just Bring it to light to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Leviticus chapter 5. Now, as we take a look at Leviticus chapter 5, we're going to see where we pick up the last their offering, which was referred to as the trespass offering or guilt offering, but we're going to see the sin offering, the guilt offering, and you're going to hear me say it back and forth on a couple of these, but follow along as we go through. <clears throat> on some of the, for the time's sake, a lot of this is repeating from the previous offering, so where uh, there's continuous and it's the same thing, I'll just kind of move through that to save time on reading of the scripture, uh, but at, when we get to six and seven, we'll go and I'll make sure we cover most of the scripture there, but it's a lot of reading there and from a time perspective to keep this down to the time frame for Wednesday nights, uh, we'll, we'll, you'll see that I'll be summarizing here, but you'll, you can follow right along and read in your Bibles uh, as we move. In Leviticus 5.1, we're going to find that there's a failing to be a, what it means to be, um, failing to, to be a, uh, a truthful witness or someone who's bearing false witness. What are you to do? What was they to do there in uh, the, the nation of Israel? How, what was the instructions from God of how they were to deal with that kind of a subject uh, in that, and it says right here in verse one, if a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath, and is a witness, where he has seen or known of the matter, make sure you underline that piece. He does not tell it; he bears guilt. You're going to have guilt on this situation. 
uh, Moses tells them in the in instructions from God that if a person sins in hearing the utterance, the there's a someone's communicating, someone said something, uh, and head of a promise or an oath, and is a witness to that oath, or witness to that utterance of oath, whether he had seen it himself said or he had known of the matter, what were you to do with that? It wasn't enough to merely not tell lies here in the nation of Israel. You shall not lie. That was not all of the instructions God had given to his people. But God also required his people to make the truth known. So even if one merely knew about a lie, they were responsible to make the truth known. Oh, would that not be a solution to our problems in today's world? How many, especially kids, you know, I'm not going to be a squealer. You know, I'm not going to tell my friend. That's not what we do. But He's lying. He's not telling the truth. He's not being forthright. It will have effect on the business. It will have effect on the family. Have effect on relationship. What do you mean you're going to keep that to a lie when God has revealed that to you that it's not true? And you're going to say, I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to get involved in that thing. Well, in the nation of Israel, they couldn't do that. If you did do that, you were guilty. Of the sin, even though you're not the one lying, you're guilty of it because you knew the truth and you didn't tell the truth. Even if he does not tell, he bears guilt. Therefore, it was the duty of someone who was a witness to come forward and tell the truth about the matter. And today we see it happen all the time. Oh, I saw what happened, but I'm not going to get involved. And that person's, you know, falsely accused or fired. Or whatever it may be, there was a consequence to that. You're just trying to protect yourself. In verse 2 and 3 we see, Or if a person touches an unclean thing, whether it is a carcass of an unclean beast, or the carcass of an unclean livestock, or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, unaware of it, doesn't know that that's what happened, he also shall be unclean and guilty. So you can't, you can't claim ignorance, I don't know. Or in the, if the touch is human uncleanliness, whatever uncleanliness with which a man may be defiled and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. So again, when we take a look at this, if a person touches anything unclean, the nation of Israel, the people, the cleaning of that, the cleansing of that sin uh, offering had to be made. It was necessary when a person became ceremonially unclean through touching anything that was unclean thing. They had to get that settled right. You cannot come to God any way you want when you have sin, uncleanliness all over you. It doesn't matter whether it was a carcass of an unclean beast or we saw in, uh, in verse 3, if he touches a human uncleanliness. There were several things that might make a person ceremonially unclean. They had to be aware of those things. They had to be watching and be careful of those things. Because even if you didn't realize it and you come to realize you did do it, and you did touch something unclean, animal or a person who 
made you ceremonially unclean. The sin offering was a remedy for this uncleanliness. You had to make it right. You had to make it right with God. You couldn't just sit there and go, it's no big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal to God. Make it right. Confess it. In this case, they had given a sin offering. Then we see in verse 4 of chapter 5, or if a person swears, speaking through, through uh, thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty if any of these thing, any of these matters. So in verse four, if a person swears, makes an oath, I promise, I carelessly promise, I'm going to do this. You know how quickly we can make false, quick promises. Oh, I'll be there, man. You can count on me. Uh, be very careful when you make those quick statements that you really don't. You know, let your yes be your yes, no your no be your no. If you don't, if you can't give a guarantee, you say no. I can't. I can't be there. You, why? Because this cleansing or this 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 careless promise requires cleansing. This careless promise was still a promise before the Lord, and had to be observed. If the promise was not kept, it had to be atoned. Atoned for by a sin offering. They had to come to the temple, come to the tabernacle, and had to atone for that sin because they had promised something and they didn't follow through with it. They had to make it right with God. Because when they sin, they sin not only against the man that you promise or an oath you've made a promise, you're making an oath to God. I promise to be there. I promise to show up. I promise to do it. And but Sometimes you make a promise, as the scripture will say, and you come to realize you made an oath or a promise, and you come to this realization, you went, aha moment. Oh no, I made a promise. I said, well, you're now guilty because now it's brought to your memory, and God's really faithful to bring things back to memory for you to remind you of certain things. When we are aware of a broken vows, we must repent of them. It is common to make vows. It's very common to make promises as a Christian that are not kept. And when we see this, we must repent and trust in the atoning, covering blood of Jesus to bring forgiveness upon your life so that you can make it right. You've got to confess it. God, I've sinned. I don't only sin against you. I've sinned against that person. I am have, I have not right. And we have to make... You know, these very careful with our words when we're making vows or promises you're going to do something. Drives me crazy. You're going to come? Maybe. That means a no. I just, just tell me no. <laughs> Don't tell me maybe. Maybe is this gray area in the middle. It, means, it just means no to me. And it does. Let your yes be your yes. Your no be your no. No one in Scripture says be your maybe, be your maybe. You know. Don't make this up. God's going to call, call the nation of Israel out on this. What are some of the vows? What are some of the common vows that we um, Christians make? I'm going to spend more time praying. I'm going to be interceding. I'm going to be praying for your brother, sister. I'm going to pray for you. I really will. And you don't. God, I'm going to be praying for this person. Oh, 
I'm going to devote more time in reading the Word of God. I'm going to do my devotionals. Man, I'm in the Word of God. I, I'm, Lord, I know I need to be in your Word. I'm going to promise I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm, Lord, I know I'm going to show up and be in those Bible studies. I know on Sundays and Wednesdays. I know. I promise. If you just get me out of this, I promise. How many times have we said that one? If you just change the situation, Lord, you know you're, my whole life I'll give it back to you. I'm going to devote my whole life to you. He made a vow, made a promise. If God will get me out of the situation, I screwed up. I promise I'll be a more of a personal witness wherever I go at work. I'm, I promise I'll be more faithful in my tithing. Lord, you know, I promise to be more patient with my spouse, with my children. I promise. I promise, Lord, I know this time, I promise this, I'm going to stay pure. I'm going to get rid of these sexual matter issues in my life. I promise. And then what happens? It's, it, again, it may not be wrong to make these vows. Your attitude and your heart, your, your, your thought process is really you want to change. You really want to be, make this vow. You really want to please God. You really want to move in forward with these vows. I mean, these are absolutely legitimate utterances from your mouth to the Lord. The move of the Holy Spirit is touching your life and bringing you to your knees and to this point, yes, I, Lord, I'm committing my life to you. Yet if the vow is not kept, it must be confessed as sin and repented of. You must deal with that properly with God, that you promised something and you didn't follow through with it. When we take a look at verses 5 through 13, it's very much the same in regards to making the uh, offerings, the sin offering, like we saw in the previous offerings. When we see here, and I'm just going to highlight, when we see right in the very beginning there, so when he is, when he is guilty, this really has the idea of when he realizes his guilt. Even though he didn't realize it at the time, it does not mean he didn't, it doesn't mean it is not sin. You do something, you sinned. You don't even realize you sinned, but you still sin. You don't realize sin until a little bit later, God and a situation comes back and says, do you know what you just did was sin? And you're like, oh, that was sin. Oh, you're right, I did sin. When you realize you're guilty of doing something that goes against God, You have to understand at that moment, he must commit to understanding. Once he feels and senses guilt and knows that he did something wrong, he needs to get it right until he realizes and really accepts the fact that it was sin. Sometimes you'll do something, it comes to realize, oh, I'm guilty for doing something, but you really just say, oh, I got caught. Or I wasn't smart enough to get through and get away with it. Or it's not as serious as bad. I mean, they think it's really bad. And I think God is telling me it's really bad. But I really think it wasn't that bad of a deal. You've got to get to the point where you recognize how God sees it. It's sin. You have to. 
Because if you don't, you're going to repeat the problem. You're going to repeat it. It's going to be a cycle. You're going to, you've got to sit there and say, that is sin and that's wicked and I hate it. I, I, just like God hates that sin, I hate that sin. I don't want it anymore. The guilt. He also has to confess. This was an important part of the sin offering. To confess meant one would agree with God that sin was wrong. Confession. It's an important principle. Principle of confession. God knows all things. He knows you sin, but he wants you to tell him, own up to it, speak to him, and own your sin. And once it happens, it frees you because then God comes in and comforts you and lets you know, I died for that sin. I can give you the, the, if you just trust in the Holy Spirit that lives within you, I will empower you. I've, and it remembers back to you how he gave you open doors to get out of that. You could have chosen, obviously, clearly, not to do it, but you did it anyway. But you've got to have that conversation, and that starts with that confession. It's a very important principle for clearing away sin that hinders your fellowship with God. That's really, I, I think over the years, that's one of the things I love here in the in Leviticus is God says, if you've done these things and you've done it and realize it, now that you realize it, and then, oh, you had to go take an active step to address that by confessing and doing a sin offering. You had to physically go and the, the priests knew. <laughs> the people knew you were coming and doing a sin offering. It was very clear what you were doing. And it was part of reestablishing the fellowship in that, that sin that separates you and clouds your ability to hear from God and the closest of God, even though he's never left you. He just stays there quiet until you make it right, confessed. And that opens communication back up. We also see through these verses 5 through 13, he who sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. So not only did they have to confess it, not only did they realize they have to deal with his guilt, not only do they have to make sure they come with a sin offering, but it's very specific in here in the scriptures that they were to pay or bring back something for the Lord. We see the cleansing from sin was available to everyone. Every single person could come. And deal with their sin. Even if they couldn't offer a sheep. They didn't have the money for a sheep. They didn't even have a money for a goat. He didn't have a money for the two birds for the poor. They didn't have even the flower could be an offering for the sin offering. It could come with amount of the flower. That's all they had. But everyone could come and make right with God. Through the sin offering. God makes Everyone have a way to him. Notice that. Everyone has a way to come to God if they're willing to repent, confess, and come to God. Now, verses 14 through 16 of chapter 5, 
We see then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regards to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks and for your valuation of shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution from the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth of it and give it to the priest so that the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering and it shall be given to him. So we see here in verses 14 through 16, if a person commits a trespass, the guilt offering was essentially the same procedure used as the sin offering. Exact same thing. Except that the guilt offering was used when someone had sinned in regards to the holy things of God. This spoke of some of the types of the desecration yeah, desecration of the tabernacle or its associated items of the tabernacle. But he had to make a restitution, they had to make a correction for the harm that he has done in regards to the holy things. When holy things have been desecrated, in some way, somehow, a mere sin offering was not enough to deal and make it right with God. You had to make a restitution and offer a guilt offering on top of that into restitution is required. Paying back what was lost plus 20% or one-fifth was supposed to be added. Leviticus 7.8 with the guilt offering. The priest was allowed to keep the hide of a bull that was sacrificed. There's, there was things that we have seen last week and this week where God makes things right. He set the price at 20%. He set the price where they couldn't get the skin and, and make any value from. And as a person bringing their bull and getting a sacrifice, they couldn't benefit from that by taking the skin and using it for their family or for selling it and getting it back. The priest got to keep it. There, God knows what he's doing in regards to dealing with uh, the situations at hand. But if one has been unfaithful in the holy things of Jehovah, it is not enough that one should confess and bring a sin offering. That restitution had to be made to make it right. And God is not going to you, let you out of that. He wasn't going to let you out of it. And everyone in the camp, the Israeli camp, the... the The nation of Israel, the Israelites, absolutely understood the word of God through Moses to them. But God made him a way to deal with the, the sin and, and the guilt. In verses 17 through 19, we see there is... Uh, if a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, 
yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. He, he didn't even know he's making these problems, but then it will come to light. And he shall bring to the priests a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make an atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. So, though he does not know it, yet his guilt and, and shall bear his iniquity. If someone dis, desecrated the holy things of the tabernacle and says, I don't know. I didn't know that was a problem. That was not acceptable. Answer. That wasn't acceptable at all excuse in front of God. They still had to deal and make a sacrifice to atone for their sins. I guess you could say if you walk into the church and you desecrated this church in some form or fashion. And you're the first time in the church. You, didn't even, you weren't sure it's a you know, new place, but you kind of knew of it. But you're not sure how to, you know, but you start desecrating it in some way. It's sin. That's exactly what was happening. They went to the tabernacle. They did something to the tabernacle or the property of the tabernacle. They did something to go against God's property. That was sin. Now in verses here, as we go into the next couple of chapters, 6 and 7, we're going to see some additional instructions here. We'll go pretty quickly here, but I wanted to make sure we wrap this up tonight on time here. In regards to Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or make about a pledge or about a robbery or if he has extorted from his neighbor or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it or swears falsely and any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he found, or all that above, about which he had sworn falsely, he shall restore the its full value of, uh, and add one-fifth more, that 20% more, to it, and give to it whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord and a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So if the person was guilty of fraud, of theft, wasn't enough that the sacrifice covered the guilt of the sin before the Lord, but restitution had to be paid back to the victim for the fraud. And I think it's a great thing. You take something and say, oh, fine, I'll give it back. You ever like teaching your children? They take a toy. They take something from the other child. And you say, give it back. Fine. Because he got caught. He took it and he stole from his brother. Give it back to your brother. Why not as a parent say, not only give it back, it's going to now cost you 20% more of the value. 
Now they're te- they're, you're te- there's a consequence. There's, there's a cost for your decisions to do what you're doing. God is wise in dealing with situations to get people to be hindered from doing it. I mean, think about it. If you think about our tax system, pay your taxes. If you don't pay your taxes, guess what happens? You get penalized for not paying your taxes and paying taxes on time. It motivates people. It should. To do what is right and do it and pay it on time. But we also see that he was to, obviously to pay that 20% to make it right. But that restitution and its accompanying penalty had to be made the same day of his trespass offering. He couldn't sit there and go, okay, I'm going to do my trespass offering to get right with God. You also had to get right with man who you stole from or what you took from. You had to do it the same day. You can't just say, oh, I'm right with God. And the guy who you went against is lingered. I'll get to you. I'll pay the 20% at some point. No, that's not how it works. You had to get right with God and right with man at the same day. In verse 7, we see that, So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespassed. So this was a marvelous, marvelous solution or assurance of a guilty conscience. The priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The sinner couldn't depend upon this promise and know their sin would covered, be covered before the Lord. Because the priest is now, he's come and the priest will make this sacrifice. Uh, and, uh, and again, it's an atonement, that covering at the time. The covering of the blood of the sacrifice for that sin. We see this same thing in the New Testament with my favorite verse. One of my favorite many verses. But 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what it meant for them to come and to offer that sacrifice, the sacrifice of that animal. It is the atonement of, uh, of forgiveness by the Lord upon their lives. Again, the emphasis is that. Any sin can be cleansed through the atoning sacrifice before the perfect work of Jesus on the cross. That is the only way. And the cleansing was not perfect, but it could be extended to any sin. That's amazing. They came, they sacrificed. It wasn't perfect. But it covered their sin at that moment. But when you and I come to Jesus Christ and rely upon him and his sacrifice on the cross, it's perfect, is it not? Sin has been washed away. You're as white as snow. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command uh, Aaron and his sons saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the 
hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and in the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. That's good. And he shall put on his and put it on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire was consumed on the altar. And he shall put them uh, beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, and it shall not be put out. It was a continuous fire burning. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering uh, in order on it, and it shall burn on it, and the fat of the peace offering, and the fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So what we see here on the burnt offering and the, and the instructions around the burnt offering, we see that the law of the burnt offering, this offering spoke of consecration, if you remember. We talked about the last week. The animal had to remain upon the altar in a slow burning, slow cooking kind of long time methodology. It was intended for by the priests and it was watched and it slowly cooked over a long period of time. So it's like, shall it be on the hearth upon the altar all night until the morning? So it's important when you take a look at that because you make the connection here that the long burning character of the burnt offering is an appropriate illustrations for you and I of the work of giving ourselves completely to God. Coming to God as a living sacrifice, not a quick work. Okay, God, I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to come and come to church and I promise to work on something and I'll do it for a little period of time. And then, okay, that's good enough. I'm going to go back in there. And I think I've satisfied God and made him happy. I'm going to go back and completely forget about God and go back to doing what I want to do. No, 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 no. That's not how a burnt offering happens. That's not how a Christian life's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a long term. It's slow. It's consistent over time. It's not something that you just do one time, do the work, and feel you're good about it. This is about a worship. This is about giving your life a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. Coming to God, a living sacrifice, not a quick work, and we may feel good, and we are. We are to be roasted on the fire for a long time. I know. When I wrote that, I was like, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Especially when you first get saved. It feels like you're being roasted over a very long time to deal with all your past. But just keep coming. I mean, just let God do the work until he is, you have completely been consumed. Nothing of the old man to be resurrected again and be used. Just allow God to slowly barbecue you there. You want the old man dead, reckoned dead, right? You don't want anything squirreling and moving. You want it completely well done. You want the new life only. And the fire always be burning on the altar. The perpetual fire was also connected to the idea that these offerings must be made continually before the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 
It was impossible to perfectly complete them. It had to be a continuous, search my heart, O Lord, if you find any wicked way in me. That should be a daily conversation that you have with the Lord. Because you want to come and just lay that burnt offering, lay that down your life to Christ and can be a continuous laying of your life down and watch God work and deal with it. In verses 14 through 23 of chapter 6, the grain offering, this is the law of the grain offering, the sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord and he shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering and it shall Burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord and the remainder of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. With unleavened bread it shall be eaten in a holy place in the court of the tabernacle of meeting and they shall eat it and it shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by the fire, by fire, and it is most holy like the sin offering and the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statue forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is atoned. One-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of, of it on the morning and half of it at night. And it shall be made in a plain, in a pan with oil. And when it is mixed, you shall bring it in. Then bake pieces of the grain offering. You shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from... Among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it, and it is a statue forever to the Lord, and it shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned, and it shall not be eaten. So this law of the grain offering, it's a portion of the grain offering, belonged to the priest, and they and their family ate ate it as a holy Gift. It was a gift to them in the service of the Lord that they did as the priests. As the people brought this offering, it was used to as a gift to the uh, priests for them and their families to be able to live. Every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. Why? Because there was a particular grain offering that was part of the anointing and consecration ceremony for a priest. It was this grain offering was not to be eaten. It was to be wholly burned before the Lord. So it was proper what comes to, to the priest by the grain offering. Some of it was given to them for them to eat and to survive for them as priests and their family. The rest of it, it was for the Lord to be used for him. And it was proportional and it had to be done properly. You didn't get to make those decisions. It was outlined in instructions of that offering and they must follow it. When we take a look at uh, chapter 6 verses 24 through 30, the sin offering, we've covered most of this again. And again, this law, the law of the sin offering is a portion of the sin offering was left over and was to be given to the priest as well. 
anything touched by the sin offering or its blood had to be cleansed in a very special manner, which we already covered here tonight, because the sacrificial victim was thought to be infected with the sin of the one who brought the offering. And so they had to be very careful with the blood of the victim or the sacrifice. And no sin offering from any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. So, again, any portion of this sin offering that came in for the sin offering made for national atonement. Because some of the sin offering that came in, it was sacrificed, it was to cover the nation of Israel, the nation of, of God's people as one from that sacrifice. There was also sin offerings that were made just for that man and family. But this, in the reading there between 24 and 30, if it was a national atonement, it could not be eaten. But the whole animal had to be burnt before the Lord. Now, if it was for the individual, then portions of it could be eaten. Now, we take a look at chapter 7 here tonight. We see, again, more offerings. There's a lot of reading here between 1 and 10. Go through that. Read through that. It's, it's pretty straightforward. But let me highlight two key verses here. This is the law of the trespass offering. It's the offering followed a similar pattern to the previous sacrifices. That's why I'm not going to read it again for you guys tonight for time-wise. But the blood and the belonged, the, the blood and the fat was special and belonged to God, and the meat portions could be shared among the priest as well. And the rest of it had to be distributed and determined officially by the priest what would happen to it. But his son, the sons, Aaron and uh, his sons, they, when they distributed out the the officiating as officiating priests, they were to have be, take responsibility to move that around and, and give out portions that are equally distributed equally to all the people that they were doing that for. Now, verses 11 through 36 of chapter 7 is the peace offering. And when you go back and read that again, very clear, but I'm going to highlight some of those verses for you so that you will draw your attention. In verse 11, this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings. A peace offering could be brought out for thanksgiving. That's what the peace offering was for. You brought that to the tabernacle as a thanksgiving for what God has done in your life. And it was out of a desire for fellowship with God or on a special occasion in the fulfillment of a vow or a voluntary Voluntary offering. That's what the peace offering was for. Then if you go down to verse 18, if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted. The meat from the peace offering had to be eaten in a fellowship meal within three days. God didn't want any stale fellowship, you could not use it after three days. No stale fellowship. It's got to be real, it's got to be current, and it's got to be within a timely manner. Three days. 
Then if you go down to verse 19, it says, All who are clean may eat of it. That's dealing what we talked about, the ceremonial purity of the people. It was required for anyone who wanted to participate in the fellowship meal associated with the peace offering. You had to be right with God. You can't be not right with God and then expect that the fellowship would be good and right. Because God says if you're not ceremonially pure here, then it, it's required to, for this fellowship, uh, this fellowship meal. And again, it illustrates a principle for you and I. It illustrates the fact that we cannot enjoy the peace of God until we have received his cleansing grace. That's why we must make sure we are constantly just examining yourself and rely and fall your life on the grace of God each and every day. If you want to experience the peace of God, then you need to rely upon the grace of God. And if you're going to rely upon the grace of God, you need to be repenting and confessing of things and be close to God. Now, if you jump down to verse 25, whoever eats the fat of the animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. So again, this principle is very clear. The fat speaking of the good and the abundance. That is good on the meat. That was good. That was God's. And the blood speaking of life. Both belonged to God and had to be given to him. What is the best goes to God. Your life goes to God. God wants the best and he wants your life. That is what that offering is all about. And then jump down to verse 34. The beasts may, the breasts may be waved as a wave offering to the Lord. It was a specific waving of the portion of the meat or bread dedicated to the Lord. It was a special pattern that was supposed to be kept by waving it before the Lord as a special pattern. And in this way, even though the priest kept the portion, he had to still dedicate it unto God. Everything is out dedicating it to God, dedicating it to God, dedicating it to God. Whatever God's blessed you and you've come, dedicate it to God, dedicate it to God. When God has blessed you with a child, one of his children, they don't get baptized because they don't, can't repent. They, can't, they don't know who Jesus Christ is. But as a baby, we dedicate them to God. Dedication Parents, you're going to take what God has given you, what is good and right, and you're going to give this child back to God and the fact that you've committed your life to raising them up properly according to the ways of the Lord, and you're going to help them to grow and mature in the relationship and come to a point of salvation where you keep pointing them to Jesus. And, and again, it's just all beautiful thing comes together. Verse 37 and 38, this is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations, and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So that wraps up the offerings. 
So let's just quickly here in the last minute here and bring this together between Jesus Christ and the sacrificial system that we just talked about. Are you ready? Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Key verse. So when we look at this, Jesus fulfilled the burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 1. We see the verse that satisfies that in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Second one. Jesus fulfilled the grain and first fruits offering that we saw in Leviticus chapter 2. The verse that is satisfied and seen the fulfillment in the life of Jesus is 1 Corinthians 15 20. But now Jesus is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Next one. Jesus fulfilled the peace offering that we saw in Leviticus 3. The verse we see that Jesus fulfilled that is in Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you have peace with God? Through Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Next one. We see Jesus fulfilled the sin offering. We see that in Leviticus 4. And the corresponding verse in the New Testament to show that Jesus fulfilled the sin offering is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the sin offering. And Jesus completely fulfilled that. The next one is Jesus fulfilled the guilt offering. We covered that tonight in Leviticus chapter 5. We see Romans 4.25 clearly says, Who has delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification? We also see in Isaiah 53.10, you have made his soul an offering for, so, for sin. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the one you follow, has completely fulfilled every sacrifice for us. Hebrews 10.10 We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. 